Welcome to the Potter's House podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you. If you'd like to learn more about the Potter's House, you can visit pottershouse.org. Heal the altars. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. I kind of feel an old school anointing in the room, in the tent tonight. 1 Kings 18, we're going to read this, we're going to step away from it for a minute, and then we're going to come back. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, and the church said, thank you, Jesus, for fans. In Jesus' name. 1 Kings 18, verse 25, beginning. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. He them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey. Or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lanchets till the blood gushed upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening and that there was neither voice nor any answer nor any that regarded. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near and he repaired. Somebody say repaired. He repaired the altar of the Lord. And I have sensed in my spirit this whole week as we prepared for this night that the Holy Spirit wants to tell the potter's house to heal the altars. Somebody shout, heal the altars. Heal the altars. Altars in the scripture are interesting. They carry an interesting dynamic to them. In the scriptures, altars represented several things. Altars carried with them a prophetic significance. Altars carried with them a spiritual significance. When I am talking about an altar, I'm not talking about the area here in front of the stage that we have an altar call in. I am talking about a very real altar made of stone that they put a sacrifice on top of and prayed to God and and God Yahweh would consume the sacrifice that was given on the altar. Are we in one accord? I'm not talking about, now listen, y'all got to shout back at me because I can't hear you over these fans. I said, are we in one accord? So you're going to have to suffer so I can be a little cool up here. Okay, good. Glad we're on the same page. Altars, before I get to our text tonight and take you into, because what I'm about to share with you is going to make our text all the more powerful. And what I'm about to share with you is going to set the stage for 1 Kings 18. Number one, altars are generational investments. Somebody say generational investments. Before there was the naming of sons, before there was playing ball with your sons, before the uh, leaving of insurance policies and inheritances was a thing in the scriptures, there was altar building. Men in the scriptures built altars. They did not 
play ball with their sons. They did not invest in, again, insurance policy because there was no such thing back then. They didn't necessarily leave inheritances. They built altars. Somebody shout altars. Altars. Men would not go on journeys before they would build an altar. It was a priority. Somebody shout priority. It was a priority. Before they would start a journey, they would build an altar. Before they would go to battle, they would build an altar. Be at the end of a battle, when they had won the victory, what would they do? They would build an altar. And so the heroes, every hero of the Old Testament that you and I would say that are our heroes or that we look up to were altar builders. They were not uh, preachers first. They were not great leaders first. Before they were any of that, they were altar builders. Take Abram, for example. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the story of Abram when God shows up to him and says, Abram, I need you to get out from under your father, and I need to call you into a land that I will show you. I need you to come out from under your father so I can show you who I am. Now, here in a minute, you're going to recognize that Terah, Abraham, Abram's father, was under, the con under a contract and was under alignment to a God who was not Yahweh and so Abram was trying uh, God was trying to tell Abram that you have got to come out from under the way that the contract of your father is set up and into a land where I can show you I am not God like the God that your father worships I'm not God like the God the rest of your land worships I am God and I am different and so Abraham hears the call of God to come out from under the, the reign of your father and I will take you and I will make you a father of many nations now how many of you understand in the line of destiny one of the number one thoughts of men is how is this going to affect my family how is this going to affect my future generations God took that into account and he told Abram he said I'm not just going to make you the father of many generations but I'm going to bless your seed and when I bless your seed I'm going to take care of every generation that comes from your loins from now until forever and so God is telling Abraham I'm not just going to bless you you, but your seed is going to bear the fruit of you being obedient. So what did the Bible say that Abram did? Well, listen, in Genesis chapter 12 and 7, the Lord appears unto him. And in Genesis 12 and 7, there he built an altar. Somebody say altar. He built an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. In Genesis 13 and 4, now listen to this because it's fascinating and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But Abram has been on this journey. He has taken Lot. He has found Sarai, his wife. They've been on this journey. And in Genesis 13 and 4, the Bible said that Abram went back to the place of his first altar. Abraham returned to the place that God encountered him, that God showed him who he was going to be, that God set the course for his life in Genesis 13, 4. We'll come back to that in a minute. In verse 18 of Genesis 13, the scripture said that Abraham built an altar unto the Lord in Hebron. So here you see the father of many generations is setting in line a generational investment that is altar building. 
altar building. And then you see how it affected his family. Because in Genesis 26, guess who builds an altar? Not Abraham, Isaac built the altar. The son of Abraham. In Genesis 26, 24, the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply your seed for my servant Abram's sake. And he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. If you're with me, say I'm there. Then not only did Isaac build an altar, but now Abraham's grandson, Jacob, built an altar. In Genesis 33 and 20, he erected an altar and called it El Elohi, Israel. In Genesis 35 and 1, God said to Jacob, go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God. And he built there an altar and he called the name of the place El Bethel because God appeared unto him. Altar building is not for my generation, it's for the next generation it's not just for who's here now but it's for who's coming it's not just about who is going to benefit from it in this moment but I am teaching and raising up a generation that not only am I building altars but I'm teaching you how to build an altar because when you know how to build an altar you know how to get a hold of God it's time that we heal the altar building business Ah, so first they're generational investments. Then second, altar equals access. Somebody shout access. Access. Whenever there was an altar, there was a place God had access to. Not now, now you gotta listen because I'm gonna give you historical background too. Because not every altar was built to Yahweh. In the Old Testament, you could build an altar to any God, lowercase g. You could build an altar to any God that you wanted to. The Old Testament people saw altar worship as an authentic form of worship. And so when they would build an altar, they would put the name of whatever God that that altar was resurrected to on the side of that altar. And they were asking that God to come and intervene. They believed even that the gods, little g, would go and look for an altar with their name on it where they were invited to come and have access to. And so here we understand understand that the old testament saw it as authentic worship and that's why church we've got to be careful what we give our attention to we've got to be careful what we build altars for we've got to be careful what we sacrifice for because you can say it's for yahweh but if his name isn't on the side of the altar if you've resurrected an altar and you've put money on the side of it and you put your family on top of the altar that's not yahweh's altar that's man's altar and so you've got to be careful careful what you are giving access into your life. You've got to be careful what you're giving access into your home. And so this is the understanding that if you read, we just read a Bethel, we go that Jacob called his altar a name. Jacob called his altar El Bethel, which means the house of God. He called the name of his altar El Elohi, which is, which is a, a shortened phrase for Elohim, which is Lord God Almighty. So you can name your altars. And what Whatever God's name, listen to me, whatever God's name was carved into the altar had access and rulership to the whole region. To the whole region. 
That's why when Israel would infiltrate another place or that there would be an evil ruler that would come and reign in Israel, the first thing God would command his people to do before they took over and started establishing their kingdom, he would say, I need you to go to the high places and I need you to tear them down. I need you to tear down the high places and I need you to tear down the altars where the other people, where the heathen have built altars because God will not share his glory with another God. And so he said before you go and set up a kingdom with my name on it I need you to go in and start tearing down if you want an easy definition of deliverance it's simply tearing down altars it's simply going into your past and tearing down altars it's simply going into your mind and tearing down altars and build with the name of God on the side of them some of y'all are saying while you are flying through this I'm just trying to get through it so I can preach is it all right if I preach so so an altar is a divine contract you are coming into alignment with whatever God you've built an altar to you are coming into alignment with whatever spirit or with whatever God you build an altar to and so when they would worship the altar where Baal's name would be on the side of it they were coming into contract with Baal they were coming because not every altar is built the same you could come in here and worship you could come in here and lift up your voice you could go home and you could sing a certain song but you better make sure that on the side of that altar is the name Yahweh and not the name of another God because God will not share his glory with an another and so you enter into a divine contract you are saying I'm going to sacrifice here to the God who's got the name on the side of the altar and I am giving access somebody shout access I'm giving access to whatever God I sacrifice to he has access and I don't know about you, but I, I don't just want any God having access to me. I don't just want any spirit having access to me. I don't just want anything having access to me. If anybody's going to have access to me, I want it to be Yahweh who is the king of Israel and the king of heaven and earth. And so we've got to be careful that when we build altars, we do it in the right motive and we do it with the right heart. So number two, altars are access. Number three, altars are appearance. Everybody say appearance. Appearance. The altar is where God appeared unto men. You haven't seen God. God's not been talking to you. You haven't been building altars. Built. Wherever an altar has been built to him... He shows up. He appears unto men. He appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob. He appeared to Moses and to David. The altar is where God appears. But listen, somebody shall listen. Listen, the altar is where God appears. But God only appears when there is something for God to appear for. You say, what do you mean? Empty altars don't move God. I'm going to say it one more time. Empty altars don't move God. If there's not a sacrifice on the altar, what you've done is just gathered a bunch of nice stones and built a nice little tower. But once you put a sacrifice on top of the altar, God is going to look at that thing and say it's pretty. But once you put on there what he wants on there, what's going to make him appear, God shows up. In, in their day, in the Old Testament, it was cattle. It was lamb. It was the first fruit offering. It was the grain offering. It was the different offerings of the Old Testament. 
Amen. In our day, it's money. In our day, it's time. In our day, it's entertainment. In our day, it's food. What am I putting on the altar that God is being provoked to come and consume my sacrifice? If I'm not put, if I'm just building altars, but I'm not putting a sacrifice on the altar, then God's not going to show up and do anything for me. God's not going to show up and consume a sacrifice that doesn't exist. And so in building altars, we must put on the altar what God is asking for. And in Romans 12, we get a pretty good idea of what he asked for. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by God's mercy, that you present your body, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship, and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How do you get God to show up on your altar? You build the altar, and then you lay yourself on it. You build the altar, and you put your heart on it. You build the altar, and you put your mind on it. And when you put you on the altar, God has no other choice but to appear. And what does he do? He consumes the sacrifice on the altar. Look at your neighbor say, he's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. Yeah, we're going to get there in a minute. Number four, number one, they're generational investments. Number two, they're access. Number three, they are appearance. God appears at the altar. And then number four, altars are anchors. Somebody shout anchors. Anchors. Altars are reminders. Altars are maps. Altars are compasses. Uh, in Genesis 13 and 4, I told you a minute ago that Abram built an altar and he went back to it. He went back to the first altar he made. It was at that altar that God set the course of his life. It was at that altar that God set the motion and the map of his life to be. And as Abraham got out and he took Lot and he took Sarai and he took their cattle and he took their silver and their gold and they got out there in the wilderness uh, he began to realize this is a lot more harrowing this is a lot more a lot more cumbersome than I thought it was going to be I didn't understand what God was asking of me when he said to leave my father and to go into a land that he would give me and he would show me I didn't understand it and so I'm coming back and I've got lots and I've got silver and I've got cattle and I've got a wife and, and I've got dreams and I've got ideas and where was it that Abram went he didn't go to a sorcerer he didn't go to a horoscope he didn't go to an ideologist he didn't go to Facebook theologians where to altar that I built when God appeared to me the first time and I came back to this altar to get my map I came back to this altar to set my compass again I came back to this altar to know that I'm still on the right track and so what do you do when you're confused build an altar what do you do when you're confounded go find an altar what do you do when you're sick go find an altar what do you do when you don't know which way to turn go find an altar because altars are anchors and no matter how far I wander no matter how far I go I know there's a rope that's attaching me to an altar no matter how far I go in the wilderness I know there's a string that's pulling me back to the altar and if I can get back to the altar I can get back where he spoke to me the first time and I can know that he hasn't changed and he won't change somebody shout build the altars altars are anchors Anchors, they're memorials to remember.
What did God say to Joshua when they crossed over the Jordan? Grab 12 stones and build a memorial. What was it? It was an altar. It was an altar of remembrance. So they were generational investment hurrying. They were access. Wherever God saw an altar. I'm going to use this word and some of you are going to cringe, but I just want you to see it in a different light. It was as if a portal was over that altar and God was giving, God was given access to come and intervene on the altar. They were access. It was appearance. Altars are where God appeared to men. And then they were anchors. Somebody one more time shout altars. Altars. So now, with all that in mind, we come back to 1 Kings 18. And the prophets of Baal have built a what? An altar. And they've taken a bullock and they've chomped it up and they've dressed it. And they put it on the altar. Now on the side of the prophets of Baal's altar was the name inscribed Baal. In that time, Ahab and Jezebel were ruling in the region and the only God they worshipped was the God Baal. So imagine with me for a moment, you are Elisha. You are outnumbered significantly by Baal worshippers. And not just Baal worshippers, but Baal altars. All around you are altars given to Baal. All around you are access points for spirits that are not of God. All around you are access points to a God who, quite frankly, never existed. They made him up in their own mind. He was a graven image. And so they created an altar for an idolatrous God. They created an altar for an idol. And they were saying, I am giving access to Baal to have control over this region. Church, we've got to stop thinking about buildings and land and start thinking in terms of regions. God did not call us just to win this corner of Columbus. He called us to win the region, the state surrounding Ohio, the nations of the earth. We've got to stop thinking in such small-minded. We've got to stop thinking that God just sent us to our corner on Mansfield and corner in Springfield and Rose Hill and Reynoldsburg and Lowell Drive in Columbus. God sent us to come for regions. And if we are not going to think that way, then the devil will continue to control regions while we just have our little corners. The devil's got regions because there's been altars built all over regions that are giving him access. Why do you think that crime and drug addiction and prostitution are prevalent in our day? Because there's been altars built to a God who is not Yahweh. And while the world is out there altar building and they don't know it, the church has been in here bickering. And fighting and, and, and backbiting and gossiping instead of building altars where God has control. We've been letting them set the altar agenda while we've been setting business agendas. And I, I'm not against business. You've got to take care of it. But if there is no altar, your business is going to fail. If there is no altar, your adventure and your endeavors are going to fail. Before you build a business, build an altar. Have sp So... So Baal's prophets have spent all this time building altars. And at the same, now I, I got to ask you this question because, because Jezebel at the same time was tearing down altars. So if Jezebel understood the significance of altars, why have we lost that understanding?
Jezebel said, I am going to tear down every access point for Yahweh. I am going to tear down every place where Yahweh might appear to men. I'm going to tear them down. Why do you think God sent Israel and told them, go tear down the high places? Because there were access points for evil. And God said, I've got to close the access point of demonic power and demonic stronghold before I can release what I want to do in the kingdom of Israel. Are you with me? Say, I'm there. I'm there. Altars, altars, altars. They were attempting to give a dead God access, hoping that he would appear. They were cutting themselves. They were dancing on the altar. They were jumping on the altar. They were bleeding on the altar. And Elijah finally got to the point, and he knew Baal's not going to respond. It's funny. So he started mocking them. It's funny how you act when the battle's already won. It's funny how you start behaving when you know the battle is already over. And he starts telling them, well, maybe, maybe Baal is out for a run. Maybe he's out for a jog. Maybe he's on a journey, but he can't answer. And they cut themselves the more. And finally, when none of their, I'm going to call them what they were, when none of their incantations worked, Elisha said, it's my turn. And this is what he did. He beckoned them to come. He called the prophets of Baal. He called the men who were in between. And he said these words in, in verse 30 of 2 Kings 18. He said, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. Elijah was saying, come here. I want to show you. How to build an altar. Because hmm. it would have done no good for Elisha to build an altar and leave. He said, I'm going to show a generation what happens when you build an altar. So come here. Come near to me and I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to show you how to build the altar. Uh, and then the last part of verse 30 says he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Somebody shout repaired. This word repaired in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word Rapha. Somebody shout Rapha. And anybody that's a Bible scholar knows what the word Rapha means. It means to heal. Okay. Thank you for the three people. It means to heal. So what did Elisha do? Before he went any further, he healed the altar. He healed the, he repaired, he brought healing to the altar that had been broken down by Jezebel. Uh, the word broken down here means to demolish. So Jezebel didn't just take the stones down, she demolished them. She turned them into powder because she knew if there's even one altar left in this land that oh come on somebody that one altar is enough to bring revival that would break the spirit of Baal off the land if I just leave one altar 
up for the people of God. That's just enough for one man, for one woman to come to the altar and offer the right sacrifice that God Yahweh might appear unto them and it would shift my reign forever. So she said, I got to tear down the altars and she broke them down. But Elijah came to an altar that still had some stuff left and he came and he healed the altar. And, and can I tell you what the world doesn't need? The world does not need a church with a bunch of fancy stuff. It's nice. We like fancy stuff. It's nice to have the technology and it's easier to do ministry with all the stuff, but that's not what they need. The world does not need good programs. The, the, the government has programs. that They don't need any more of that. It's nice, but they don't need it. The, the world doesn't need more merch. I've got merch on right here. You can buy some after church, but the world don't need this. This won't make the world whole. What the world needs is a church who is busy building altars. They're too busy building altars to backbite. Too busy building altars to gossip. Too busy building altars to fight. Too busy building altars to fight one another. Too busy building altars to complain. They don't need anything else. They need a church whose full-time job is altar building. And, 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 and he built an altar, verse 32, in the name of the Lord. Yahweh, the name of the Lord. I just started writing down some names of God. El Shaddai, he's the all-sufficient one. El Elyon, the most high God. I don't care what name Elisha picked. He could have picked any of them. Uh, Adonai means Lord or Master. Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my miracle. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shama, the Lord who is there. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Jehovah Shabaoth, the Lord of powers that's his name then that's his name now but in the new testament he took on a different name and in the new testament the bible said that he came born of a virgin and the angel said you will call his name emmanuel and he will be god with you god for you god they called his name jesus and wherever the name of jesus is present demons tremble wherever the name of jesus is present blind eyes are open wherever jesus is present deaf ears are unlocked wherever there's an altar built in the name of jesus he comes and consumes what we put on the altar would you one more time just lift up your voice and shout jesus wherever he is anything is possible uh, jesus uh, he built a place, listen, of generational investment. He built a place of appearance. He built a place of access. And he built an anchor. And then. I said and then. He put a sacrifice on the altar. And he prayed a 63-word prayer. 
And in the beginning of this story, Elijah told the prophets of Baal, you get an altar, I'll get an altar, you get a bull, I'll get a bull, and we'll pray to our gods. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. The God that answers by fire, let him, a 63 word prayer. And the fire of heaven came out of heaven and consumed the offering and it licked up the water in the trenches and all over the altar. We celebrate about that. Can I come down here and preach for a minute? We celebrate about that, but can I show you contextually where the power is? Contextually, the power is in this. They had built an altar. They had prayed. They had cut themselves. They had mutilated themselves. They had given themselves scars because of the altar worship they were giving all with the name of Baal on the side of their altar. I'm telling you, you got to get into your mind how important the altar was in the Old Testament because then when Elijah built an altar, when Elijah built his altar and on the side of that altar, he put Yahweh on the side and he began to pray and fire began to come down out of heaven what those prophets of Baal were realizing is we have built altars all over this region we have built altars all over this country we have built altars all over this city and we have never seen a God that we've prayed to answer like this but now that we've seen fire this was their response the Lord he is God the Lord he is God it will not be by our touting it won't be by our face Facebook posts won't be by our political ideologies that the world will know that he is God. It'll be when the church builds an altar and they come to the altar with sacrifice and they put on the altar what he desires and he comes and cleans the altar with fire. That's when they said the Lord he is God. And then Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. I love the Holy Ghost because it's raining on the outside right now. And the next thing that happened in this story, Elisha went to Ahab and he said, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry because there is a sound. I said there is a sound of an abundance of rain. The land had been in drought for years. The land had been experiencing drought for years. And Elisha, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, I got to have you know that right out here on this side, and you better eat, I got to have you know there is a sound of an abundance of rain. And you better eat and drink and get in your chariot and start riding back to the city. Because I hear rain in the future of the potter's house. I hear rain in the future of the campuses of the potter's house. I see rain. I don't just hear it. I see it. And it won't come. I'm telling you, you got to listen. Rain won't come until we heal the altars. Rain won't come. There wasn't a sound of rain until Elisha rebuilt and healed the altar on top of Mount Carmel and committed it to God. We got to heal the altars. We got to heal the altars. I love the Holy Ghost. We got to heal the altars. 
Because if we're going to see rain, rain only follows altars that have been healed. Rain only follows altars that have been prayed on. Rain only follows altars that have been healed and rebuilt and restructured. Rain follows altars. And he sent Gehazi. Elisha gets his head in between his legs, seeking the face of God, and he says to Gehazi, go look for the cloud. Go look for the cloud. I need you to go and tell me if what I heard matches what you see. I need you to tell me if what I'm hearing in the spirit is what's beginning to come in the natural. And the Bible said Gehazi went once and came back and said, I don't see anything. He went again and he said, I don't see anything. When what you see doesn't match what he said, go with what he said. I don't see anything yet, but I know you heard the sound. I'm going to go a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth, and a sixth. And on the seventh time, Gehazi came back, and he said, Master, Master, I know you're praying. i got to tell you something. I, I need you to know something. What you heard, you weren't crazy. What you heard, you weren't out of your mind. What you heard, you weren't losing it. What you heard, I'm starting to see with my eyes. What you heard is starting to connect with my natural. What you heard in the spirit is starting to manifest in the natural. What you heard after the fire fell is starting to manifest in the natural. And he said, I see a cloud. I see, I see a cloud. And it's the size of a man's hand. And, and, and I don't know that much rain can come from that. I don't know that, that much libation and liquid can come from that, but I, I see something. Listen, I see something I haven't seen in years. I see something that we haven't heard of in years. I see the answer to the prayer on the altar. I see the answer to the rebuilding and the healing of the altar. And church, I'm telling you, if we want to get in revival, if we want to see awakening, it doesn't start in our, in our song singing. It doesn't start... In our preaching, it doesn't start in our systems and structures and events and good things we do. If we want to see revival, it's going to start when we come to an altar that has been broken down, an altar that has been shattered, an altar that has been destroyed, and we start picking up the stones and saying, it's time to heal the altar. It's time to heal the altar. It's time to heal the altar. And when the altar gets healed and the fire of God falls, Lift up your eyes and see the rain of the Holy Spirit coming to the house of God. But church, we got to heal the altars. Stand on your feet all over the room. The tent, whatever it is. We've got to heal the altars. Everywhere this tent goes, build an altar. Every time we come to worship in our campuses, build an altar. 
build an altar. The spirit of the age has broken down the altars. And it is time that the church repair the altar. Heal the altar. We will never see broken people whole if it doesn't start on the altar. We'll never see the church succeed into the future if it doesn't start on the altar. I love this because on top of Mount Carmel, Elisha has just created an anchor. He's being that when Elisha's off doing ministry, he's being chased by Jezebel. He can go back to his anchor. He can say, God, the last time I was here, you made fire come out of heaven and consume the offering that was here. And I know you can do it again. Saying, God, he created access. He created a place where they were saying, God, I'm giving you a moment in time where you can show yourself to be who I know you are. He gave them an appearing place that the prophets who would be with Elijah in the cave could know that if God appeared to Elisha in the altar, he'll appear to me there too. But the last thing and the most important thing he created a place of generational investment. So now every time a son or a daughter would climb Carmel and would see that altar, they would be reminded, oh, I remember the day that Elisha built an altar here and the God who answered by fire he was God some of you need to stop build wherever there was a stage in the Bible idolatry always followed but wherever there was an altar God resided there Some of you, I'm going to say it because I feel it in the Holy Ghost, need to stop building futures for your children based around temporary things. Your marriage is struggling because there's a lack of an altar in your living room. Oh, it's quiet in the tent. Your family is struggling because you don't have an altar in your house. You got money in your house. You got stuff in your house. You've got entertainment in your house. Show me where the altar is. Show me where the altar is. Because anywhere there's been an altar, 
where a sacrifice that pleased God was on it, he always appeared unto men. I love counselors. I love psychiatrists. I believe in it. If you're struggling in your mind, you need to get a psychiatrist, a counselor, a therapist, whatever you need. God has raised them up, but what you need more than them is an altar. A lot of your problems you're facing can be solved by simply healing the altar of your home. Can simply be solved by healing the altar of your heart. The Lord sent me here tonight. I just want you just to look outside of this tent and see what's falling. Just look at it. I'm not trying to be extra spiritual. What I'm trying to tell you is God gives signs. And more than anything tonight, I believe we're getting a sign of what's to come. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. And thanks to those of you who give so generously to make things like this possible. You can click the link in the description or go to pottershouse.org for more details and to see the exciting things happening here at the church and how you can get involved. We encourage you to share this week's message with your friends and family. We look forward to seeing you next week.